Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. The Bible. This is our textbook. This is our resource. This is the guidebook for everything we do at our church. It's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and the most recently written of them is about 2,000 years old. But here's the thing about the Bible. It's timeless. That means it speaks in our day just as much as it did in the days in which it was written. But what is helpful is to understand the context in which the Bible was written. That way, it informs us all the more. That's especially going to be true today as we look at this passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians and asking the question, how did they live 2,000 years ago? What was the normal lifestyle for a family in the first century? Most people lived in a single-story home. On top was a flat roof. And dad, very often, would stay up there. That would be the, a patio, the kind of his domain. And if you were a fluent family and had a two-story house, most times the, the dad, the husband, lived on the top floor and the wife and children on the bottom floor. That architecture really tells you how the family was, was oriented, how it was arranged physically as well as emotionally and spiritually. That the husband was over the wife and the children. That they were literally under his feet. And you were not allowed to go upstairs, but he could come downstairs at any time for any reason. The result? Well, wife and children were considered his legal property. So they didn't have legal rights. And if the dad, if, if the husband did something that was wrong, you couldn't call the police because there was no authority over the husband, over the father. As you can imagine, if the, this arrangement, that dad, that husband could be domineering. Only a husband could file for divorce. So what you have is an overbearing, domineering possibility. Now, if the husband is loving and gracious and kind, if the father is warm-hearted and, and devoted, then you might have a healthy, functioning family. But what was often the case was the man was domineering. He was overbearing. He was ruling over, literally standing over his family. So when we read passage like we're about to read, we get to understand how they would have heard it, how they would have received it. So when we get to Colossians 3 and God speaking through the Apostle Paul in our passage to husbands and wives, next week to parents and children, the following week to employers and employees, he's speaking to everyone, not just one side of the relationship. In other words, God has rights and responsibilities for everyone, and He's trying to set up a loving, healthy, life-giving, safe home for women and children to live in a loving relationship with the father, the husband. Now, what Paul's about to tell them was radical for his day. 
What we're going to hear in just a moment was very radical because there are directives for men. Nobody told men what to do. No one exercised authority over men. There is almost no historical evidence outside the Bible for commanding and demanding how men treat their wives and children. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, some of you knew this was coming. You've been keeping up with us through Colossians, and you knew that we ended at Colossians 3, 17 last week, so this was what was coming. Besides, if you did any of the Bible background readings this week, you saw Song of Solomon. You knew it had to be about marriage, right? Now, we are going to take each of these verses separately in just a moment as Paul speaks to wives first and, and then husbands. But let me set the stage for you in two ways. Number one, before we, us men, get carried away with the word submit, Paul has a very similar expression in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Almost identical rendering as what we just saw in Colossians 3, 18. But before we get to Ephesians 5, verse 22, there's Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another means that we are all to have a servant's heart that we are to look out for the best interests of the other. And you do this out of reverence for Christ because it is Jesus who has authority over us all. So if the thought of the first century world was that there was no authority over men, the Apostle Paul is setting that record straight. Yes, there is authority. It's Jesus Christ. The second thing that needs to be said is what Colossians 3.18 is not saying. Colossians 3.18 is not saying, A, it does not speak to the arena outside the home. So this is not about politics, church leadership. It's not about the workplace. This is about marriage. B, it doesn't say that the wife is to obey the husband. Now, in the next section, we'll see this next week, Paul is going to take up the relationship between parents and children, and the word obey is in there. Children are to obey their parents. That word is not used here. And C, it doesn't say, and therefore it does not mean that the wife is less valuable, less intelligent, less competent. One of the first things you'll learn as a man when you get married is that you're not always the most competent. There are a lot of things that your wife is good at, and you're glad that she's around because you're not good at them. It means that you learn to lean in on one another. I'll give you an example. For me, I don't know a whole lot about health and wellness. 
Lori has that medical training as a pharmacist, and she should have gone on to medical school. She's usually able to diagnose and sometimes uh, address an issue even before the doctor is. So when our daughters were sick, when our kids are sick, and now when their kids are sick, it's funny, no one comes to me with good reason. I've got nothing. (laughs) I'm no help at all in that area. Additionally, verse 18, comes nowhere close to meaning that men are superior and women are inferior. Men and women are equal in the sight of God. This is not about one gender being over the other. So what are we to make of these two verses? What is it that the Apostle Paul wants us to see here and think through? It's this. The focus is on a safe, loving, healthy relationship. It's in the context of a life-giving, biblically surrendered marriage. And when you understand that, these two verses make a whole lot of sense. Now, let me say a couple things to wives. Number one, the order of the Bible is singular headship, plural leadership. This is important. Singular headship plural leadership. In our church, we have a governing board, the session. It's myself and 12 elders. You're about to elect four new ones coming on board here soon. The session is the authority of the church, but the head of the church is Jesus. So it's plural leadership, but it's singular headship. Jesus is the head of the church. That's how it is in the family. The husband and wife, the mom and dad, they lead together, but the husband is the head of the family. That's what it says over and over in the Bible. So that's the way that God ordained the family. Much too often, the reason it's not that way in our families is because the husband has abdicated that role or not seen it as important. Perhaps... Many times it shouldn't be that the husband is head of the family because he sees it then as his job is to be boss and therefore overbearing and domineering. That's not God's role for us husbands and dads. Number two, ladies, the most important thing that your husband is looking for from you is respect. This comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, if you want to look it up. And look, it's a given. Your husband will frustrate you, but respecting your husband means two things. It means let God be the enforcer. What that means is it's absolutely okay to let your husband know when he or she is doing something that you disagree with. After all, you all are equals. But once you say what you have to say, remember it's not your job to change him. It's God's job. Pray for your husband and rely on God to change his heart and mind. And the second thing, honor and respect the man you want him to be. Lori does this for me. When she treats me better than than I deserve, she makes me want to live up to what she sees in me. All of this only makes sense in the context of a healthy relationship. 
So now let me, let me say this to both husbands and wives. Trust God to be in control. Marriage takes tremendous faith because there are times when the husband's going to feel like, I need to be in control so I'm safe in this. And there are going to be many times that the wife is going to say, no, I need to be in control so I'm safe in this relationship. Instead, both are to surrender and trust God to be in control. This is where marriage takes tremendous faith, faith that, that God would take care of me and God would take care of them, that God has the good for both of us in mind, that God is ultimately in control and we don't have to be. That leaves us free to be in relationship and live under the one who is in control. Now, let me speak specifically to husbands. Again, back to verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Number one, God wants us to be a loving, safe, healthy, life-giving place for His daughter. You see, before she was your wife, she was His daughter. That makes a difference in how, you, how we think about, about that relationship, doesn't it? Number two, husbands, just because the Bible declares you to be the head of the family doesn't mean you get to be made the boss. Instead, think of family this way. Our wife, our, our children are like a garden, and us men are the gardeners. We are to love, bless, protect, nourish, so that our wife flourishes, so that our children flourish, so that the family flourishes. This only happens when we tend to and invest in our wives and children. In a similar fashion, number three, this does not mean that the husband gets to make every decision. He gets to be involved in every decision, but so does the wife. What it boils down to is this, you two, husband and wife, are a team, a unit. So the Bible says that the two shall become one. You are to have the best interests of each other at heart. All right, let me pull back just a second and give advice for single people before we wrap this up with more for married people. If you are a single female, don't marry a guy unless he loves God, he considers you, he's your friend, he's going to look out for you, and he has your best interests at heart. And if you're a guy, don't marry a woman, you're already thinking, gosh, she's never listened, she's always fighting with me, there's always conflict, that might be an indication that she doesn't put the Lord first, that she doesn't consider you, that she isn't going to be your friend. For those of us who are married, let me share with you how to make marital decisions. Number one, you should each seek God's will through prayer, scripture reading, and godly counsel. 
This is seeking the mind of Christ. So it's not, well, what does he want? Or, or what does she want? Instead, it's, Lord, what do you want? Maybe she's right. Maybe he's right. Maybe they're both wrong and the Lord wants to show them something else. Number two, you should each seek relational unity and avoid division. That means the relationship is always more important than an issue. The relationship is always more important than an issue. This is that partnership, that team approach where the two are becoming one. And number three, you are better together. Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, this is at creation, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, this is before sin entered the world. Now that sin has entered the world is all the more reason to have a helper suitable. And number four, you may need to seek godly, neutral, third-party help if you get stuck. You may say, look, look, we've talked about it, we've prayed about it, we've searched the Scriptures, we're just stuck So we're going to go to a doctor if it's a medical issue, or we're going to go to a financial planner, or we're going to seek a Christian counselor, and we're going to let them help. Can I just say that we want marriages and families to be healthy in this church, to be life-giving, and to be united. So, we just celebrated God with our minds, enriched by Scripture. And now we want to celebrate God in an active way as we give, as we sing, as we're about to pray. As the praise team comes back, let me just remind us all again that at the close of worship, if there's something on your heart for prayer, you want to just lift up and you want somebody to partner with you in that, I'll remain up front and we can do that together. Um, otherwise, you can do that where you are as well. Let me, let me pray for us as we, uh, as we pray together. Thank you, God, for working on us all, especially those of us who are married. We need you to strengthen those relationships, and it starts by coming to you and asking what your will is. And then as we work at that together, we can lead our families well. We pray this in Jesus' name and the prayer that He taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.